all starts with Jesus and it all ends with Jesus. Come on. He's everlasting to everlasting. The only true and living eternal God. Come on. And that's who he is tonight and that's why we celebrate, Pastor Jamal. Welcome, welcome everybody to the atmosphere of miracles. Come on. Welcome tonight. You can say hello. That's right.
have shots and you've been through shots. Nobody but Jesus, come on. He's rescued you, he's saved you.
of the Lord says you are 
the Lord's battle axe. And so for everything that has been fighting you, for every battle that you've been engaging in, for every warfare that has been set aside around you, against you, today, the Bible says that you are the Lord's battle axe. So when you say, this is how I fight my battle, come on, I want you to wield Wield that battle axe. You are the Lord's battle axe. Amen. And today this say, Lord, allow me. Allow me to be used in your hand. So that whatever the enemy has come against me is coming down. Come on, somebody. You got to call. You got to speak. And I'm here to say to you today that the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And yeah, right now, you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. So somebody needs to open up their mouth and be like the church and make a sound in this place. Come on, can we make a hallelujah to the Lord? Can we be, make a hallelujah to the Lord? Hallelujah. This is our fight, my bad. Father, we just lift up your name in this place right now. Come on, all over this place right now. Would you just lift up your voice before the Lord? Would you just make your petitions known unto the Lord? The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come on, let's just begin to bless him. Bless him. Let the Lord be lifted up in this place. Let everything that has bread praise the Lord. We worship you. We magnify your name. We cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We bring into captivity every thought and every plan of the evil one. We declare that this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will be glad. We declare a spirit of freedom that is in the house. We declare an anointing that will break every yoke of bondage in the name of Jesus. We declare open heavens over this house and over your people, O oh God. We pray, O oh God, place, O oh God, where you speak, a place where you move, a place where your heart is revealed, a place of God where the shekinahs of God is begin to fall down. We sense the weightiness of your presence. Oh God, we sense the weightiness of your presence. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. In this place, in this place, we honor you. We lift you up in this place. 
Come on, this is a worship encounter. It's not about the song. It's about the song of the Lord. And the song of the Lord begins as you open up your mouth and you begin to allow God to minister to you tonight. This is not about anything else. It's about you engaging with the heavens and having an encounter like Jacob as he has an encounter on Peniel. And he sees a ladder that stretches towards heaven. And then he sees angels ascending and angels descending. And he says, surely this is the house of the Lord. This is the gateway of heaven. I'm here to say to you, there are angels ascending. There are angels descending in this place. Oh God, just send your ministering angels just to minister over the lives of your people. Shio Lima. We honor you, we honor you. We honor you, we honor you. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. To you be all the glory. To you be all the glory. You are worthy of all praise. This bless the Lord with a song, with a psalm, with a spiritual aim. That somebody tonight is going to experience a touch of the Lord. To somebody healing is coming right now. To somebody restoration is coming right now. To somebody, deliverance is coming right now. To somebody, there is an open heaven over your life right now. In the name of Jesus, we honor you, we honor you. We honor you, we honor you. Kasharabasete. We bless your name. Bless your name. Just sing once again, raise your hands. We honor you. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Karabasata. We give you all the praise. Karababasata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, disengage, disengage, disengage.
we just give God a praise offering in this place. He's a mighty warrior. He's great in battle. Jehovah is his name. So, Father, we come before you in this place just to honor, just to praise, just to lift up your name. You are Yahweh, the great I am. You are God all by yourself. You are Elohim, the strong and mighty one. You are El Shaddai, the ever-present one. You are the God that moves in the midst of your people. And so today, we take off all limits of you. We posture ourselves before you just to hear your voice. So tonight we say, oh God, touch our hearts with the things that touch your heart. <laughs> hey, want you to say that, touch my heart, Lord with the things that touch your heart. Oh God. When the very Shekinahs of God fill the house and the glory fill the house, the priest could not enter in. When God enters in, Flesh has to bow. Flesh has to submit. Flesh has to heal. And so tonight it's all about worshiping him. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. So tonight Lord we take off all limits of you. And we bless your name. So we say oh God like Samuel did speak Lord. For we your servants here. And the church said amen. And the church said amen. 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 You may be seated. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. We just thank God for this moment. Amen. The musicians can just stay for a moment, right? Uh, musicians uh, can stay for a moment. Uh, I'm doing this in faith. Um, I'm going to push Bishop into a little bit of. I'm taking him back a few years and, and I'm asking him to exercise the gift that he first started ministry in. Amen. So it's our privilege and honor. We're honored to be guests of DNS Family Center. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the house. Amen. Let's put our hand together for Pastor Devon and the family of God and the leadership of this great house. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And so we are honored to be here together with you. We know this is a combined worship, amen. I can see Pastor Justin in the front. Some of you, I'm still trying to see, amen, amen. I feel a little bit like the priest going through the holies of holies. I'm on my knees. Okay, I can see better down, amen. I understood why they went on their knees, amen, amen. Uh, so, so I want to just share with you today, it's our privilege and honor we have a guest with us. This is what the kingdom feels like, right? When the body of Christ unites. Come on. This is what the kingdom feels like. And I pray that as the body begins to unite and we combine, 
we have different houses and different styles of worship and different ways we engage, different cultures. But when we come together, the, the, the kingdom of God is manifested. And so today we pray that you would enjoy this time. Thank you for every church that is represented here. To the Potter's House family that is here, amen. Make some noise, amen. Amen, 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 amen. To DNS Family Center that is in the house, make some noise. To NCF Peter Mattersburg, make some noise. A few of you can make a lot of noise, amen. Amen. To every one of our guests that is here today, God bless you. Thank you for joining together with us. We believe the Bible says how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For where there is unity, God commands a blessing. How many of us know that we can expect God to move in a very supernatural way? In Jesus' name, amen. So it's my privilege and honor to introduce to you uh, my friend, Bishop Isaiah Merritt. He's the, the Bishop of Macedonia, Grovetown. He's a great man in a great stature in the kingdom. He's really a man that has, uh, we've been traveling together for the past few days. And I've just seen how the, the wisdom and the grace of God is upon his life. We've been, we, we know each other for almost 20 years now. Uh, we, we've had the opportunity of doing ministry together. I've seen how the Lord has elevated him. And I see how the gift is maturing in his life. And I'm here to say to you today that you're in, you're in for a blessing. Amen. You're in for a blessing. So let us put our hands together as we receive the man of God, Bishop Isaiah's merit. Bless us, sir, with that which the Lord has placed in your heart. Amen. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. If you're blessed to be in God's house tonight, do me a favor. Give God the best praise you've got. I'll consider that a warm-up praise because I don't think you remembered who I said we're praising. If you really believe God is God, you believe you've been blessed all week long, if God carried you, kept you, shielded you, I want you to give God literally the best praise you've got. I want to give honor to the most holy father who sits on the throne, the son Jesus who died for us, to the Holy Spirit who comforts, keeps, and guides us, uh, to the pastor of this house. Uh, I officially know the second coolest guy in Africa because I'm here right now, so he's the second coolest guy in Africa. Pastor Devin, I appreciate the curry you served me earlier this week. God bless you. So y'all praise God for the set man of this house. And is your wife here tonight? She's back there in the smoke of the Lord. So give God a praise for her as well. Amen. And I, I can't thank uh, my friend, Pastor Gerald, enough. Uh, they have fed me more than a fat man can eat. Uh, so I want to say thank you for hosting me, to, for bringing me here, uh, for just taking care of me all week long. You, 
my sister Annie and my my nephew uh, Joe. I want to praise God. I want y'all to praise God for them for hosting. If you are somewhere near A flat, that might bless me. I was told that I had to sing a song. I, I, I can't sing anymore, but I'll try. Uh, but here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to go ahead and search in your Bible and find Matthew, the 14th chapter. And we're going to work from there tonight. I've been told how much time I have, and I'm good with time, so I'm going to make sure I work within that limitation. I lift my hands in total adoration unto you. You reign on the throne, for you are God and God alone. Because of you, my cloudy days are gone. I can sing to you this song. I just want to say that I love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. Do I have anybody who can sing that with me? Those are the words. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you more than anything. If you really love him, say it with me. Go ahead and say it. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I can see you now. <laughs> I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you. you find Matthew, I want you to stand to your feet. I love you. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. And the word of the Lord reads, from the Amplified Version, verse 30 and verse 31. But when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Amplified said, from death. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and caught and held him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I want to tag this text with this topic, having a mind to complete the process. I want you to look at someone near you and ask them this question. Ask them, do you have the mind to complete the process? Before you take your seat, find one more person because I think that person was playing with you. Look at someone else and find one more person. God bless you. 
Don't, 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 don't go before me. Wait on me. Wait on me. Wait, wait, wait on me. Wait on me. When you find that person's eye, I want you to look at them real close. Smile first. And say to them, do you have the mind to complete the process? You may be seated in the presence of God in this holy assembly. Pastor, it's good to see you. The smoke is cleared. I see you better now. I believe that I'm on an assignment this week. I explained to Pastor Gerald to bring uh, someone like me in to teach on leadership. It costs about $2,500 a day. And so I believe that God brought me here not to make money, but to impart something because God is about to do something spectacular straight from this country. There's something special that's, uh, that's being birthed in this region. And I don't want you to take for granted where God has you in this season. And so somebody just say, Lord, use me. But whenever God decides to use us, there's always oppositions that come our way. And I believe that Lord would have me to talk to you about the challenges that you experience whenever you're being used by God. Can I give you the backdrop of the text? In today's text, the disciples are fairly young and they walk following Jesus. And they are shifting from a mind of, a wor of the world to a kingdom mentality. Say kingdom mentality. Everything they experienced before Christ was, uh, was in the process of changing. Uh, this passage draws an amazing picture of the power of the kingdom because it compares the kingdoms of the world to the kingdom of God. And so it shows that the kingdoms and the systems of this world are literally trying to work against the kingdom of God. The chapter opens with uh, an interesting uh, interaction. It shows you where politically the scene was Herod was understanding Jesus as something that he, had already, that he had experienced. He had killed John the Baptist, and he assumed that because Jesus had power, that John the Baptist was coming back to haunt him. It shows that the world has no real understanding of the kingdom of God. And so when we look further, it sh the tension that shows that the, the world is clueless, it's now being manifested even in the disciples. Because the story moves from one thing to another, and you see the word euphaios immediately, it, because this author likes to shift the scene while carrying a theme. And so as he shifts the theme, he explains the lack of understanding the kingdom, but elaborates on the power of the kingdom, because he goes from the scene with Herod to the feeding of 5,000 men besides children and women. Now, the power in this moment is that whenever it's the kingdom of God, you can do great things with very little. Y'all, give me time to build here. Give me time to build. Just work with me. Now, I'm, I'm part Baptist and part holiness, so you got to say something to me to make sure I know that you're hearing me. The kingdom will take a little and will cause big things to happen. And so, if I am kingdom-minded, I'm never worried about what I have. I'm focused on what God has called me to do. Now, after this illustration of the power of the kingdom of God, the disciples are given a word. And that word is, go over to the other side. Now, when disciples get onto the boat to go over to the other side, they run into a problem. And that problem are oppositions that are coming their way. 
While Jesus, while they're going to the other side, they immediately experience what kingdom work will cause. When you start with kingdom work, storms will come your way. It was the winds of the world that will work against, that was working against them as a symbol of the winds of the world that will work against you and me. And so all of us experience the pressures of trying to operate by faith to do the things that God called us to do. Every last one of you, if you ever say that I'm going to live for Christ or do something for the kingdom of God, oppositions are going to come your way. Some of the typical oppositions and excuses I hear that tell me that people who are doing kingdom work are experiencing problems are things like no one will support the ministry work that I'm doing. If I hit your street, just say, yeah, that's right, pastor. Other believers are sometimes working against the very thing I'm doing. No one seems to want to listen to me when I'm telling them what God is calling me to do. Carrying the pressure and the weight of ministry on your own. People won't follow you the way they need to. You're having financial challenges. Got plenty of bills, but not enough money. You feel unproductive sometimes. You feel unfulfilled sometimes. And sometimes you simply feel like you're out of place. We are trying to do all we can, but sometimes what we perceive and see can make us feel like we're sinking in water. Whenever we follow God, we can meet worldly oppositions, and we see it in the text here. There are four worldly oppositions that are being explained in the, in the chapter here. One opposition is the wind. The other opposition is the wave. The other opposition is weariness. And the fourth opposition is the watch. Whenever you do ministry work, you will have an oppositional strategy coming against you. Somebody will always want to do something to stop you from doing what God called you to do. There's always an opposition to people who are called to kingdom authority. The wind. Then there are waves that will battle you, and the waves are literal enemies that are planted inside your camp. Sometimes your enemies, I put the word FR on them, they're your frenemies. People who have befriended you and said that they support you, but they become your enemy by satanic strategy. And then there's another thing that works against you, and it is more internal. It is your body, your body, your flesh will work against you. Anybody in here ever got tired while trying to do God's will? Let me talk to y'all on this side because um, it seems like half of you are asleep. Have you ever gotten tired trying to do something that God has called you to do? Okay, they're kind of uh, Presbyterian over here. Let me go over here. Have you ever gotten tired about something that God called you to do? They, 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 they're right there. That's good. That's good. Our flesh can sometimes get worn out. But is there anybody here that knows that if I can lean and trust in God, God is able to empower me even when my flesh is weary? The reality is that the winds of the world, the winds of the world, the oppositional forces, they are, they are oppositional strategies that Satan puts in place in order to stop you. The Bible tells us that the stratagems of the enemy are always working in our direction. But the shield of faith can stop the stratagems of the enemy. Because it takes faith to overcome what you see. 
Some of you are sitting here right now, and if you really think about it, there are some things that you've seen that's designed to stop you from doing what God called you to do. But there's also something divine that keeps you connected to the calling of God. The waves, the waves, the waves, the waves respond uh, with the contrary wind. So it's not enough that winds are coming your way, but even waves are trying to beat against you and wear you down from doing the things that God called you to do. In life, things will beat you up. It will throw you down. It will try to cast you out. But I heard Paul said that we may be knocked down, but we're never knocked out. So I can't stop if I know I'm called by God. I won't stop if I know I'm called by God. I'm going to see what the end is going to be. And so winds, you, may, you can come if you want to. Waves, you can beat if you will. But I will stay focused on God. Then there's weariness. There's weariness. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. Pastor Gerald told me that he's going to drain me before I go home in America. I had no idea that he was going to sneak in a strategy of soccer to do it. So right now, my body is weary, but there's something on the inside that won't let me be still. For every time he asks me to come into a service, I realize that some of you who are here need a seed from me right now because what God is calling you to is bigger than where you have been. And sometimes you need an outsider to step in and call the power of God into your life. And I'm here tonight to tell you that God is waking something up in each and every one of you. You are not here by accident. And maybe you may be thrown off by my accent, but the truth is, regardless to my accent, there is a word that's coming in order to wake you up to what God is calling you to. Here's the fourth issue that we're wrestling against. We're wrestling against the watch, the time, the watch, the time. In the text, the watch literally talks of there are four watches in the night. You have one watch at 12 in the day, three in the evening, six at night, uh, nine at night, and then goes over 12, three, six, nine. It's around about three o'clock in the morning. They're in the middle of the ocean. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but who wants to be in the middle of the ocean at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of a storm? Nobody wants to be in the middle of the ocean at, at 3 o'clock in the morning while a storm is going on. And then this time, if you were in a storm and you saw something on the water, you knew it was a ghost. And if it is a ghost, it's time for you to die. No, 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 that is, that is the theory here. And this is why the disciples are so troubled about what they see. They're frightened because the premonition is that if you see something on the water, you shouldn't see it there. And if you see it there, it's time for you to die. How many of you in your life have found yourself at odd hours feeling like your ministry is going to fall apart? Now, before we think I'm talking just about pastors, I'm talking about you who run ministries in your church. Have you ever seen people quit at the last minute and you didn't know how you were going to get things to stand together? The person you depended on most left you hanging and you felt like everything's going to fall apart. That is a watch type moment. But here's what I learned from Paul and Silas. Can I step out of the text for a moment? Here's what I learned about Paul and Silas. When you come into an oppositional moment, you ought to learn how to create an atmosphere of God. And the only way I can create an atmosphere for God is to build a house for God. And the only way I can build a house for God is to look at the word. The word says that God inhabits the praise of his people. That's why... 
folk from Africa have always been a noisy crew because we know that even when things are coming against us, all we got to do is give God a praise. Folk from Africa that is in the diaspora in America who, who went through crazy things, they kept on giving God praise and their praise got them through hard times. Is there anybody here tonight that knows that if you can get up and give God a praise, you can shift some stuff. Let me stay off the text a minute and keep on working on this because it was at midnight when Paul and Silas were praying. Now watch this. What many people do is give, uh, they don't give enough credit to Paul and Silas. They say that at midnight they started praying, but the reality is they had been praying and singing all the way up to midnight. And I know something about midnight praises because if you can rock with the Lord, the Lord will rock your situation. How many of you need God to rock your situation in your ministry? And so here it is, Psalms 30 and 5 says this, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's why I praise God, because I know that when things are going wrong, that's just nighttime. But when I give God praise, I make the sun rise. When things are coming against me, that's just nighttime. But if I can praise God when things are going crazy, I can make the sun rise. If things are falling apart, that's just nighttime. But if I give God a praise when things are going, I can make the sun rise. Is there anybody here that can think about some times when things were going wrong and all you had left was just a little bit of praise? and all of a sudden things started shifting so we are on a journey from being overwhelmed in this passage and sinking in the earthly natures to responding to a seed of life through the kingdom of God we are on this journey through the power of Jesus Christ the reason I believe God has given me this passage for this ministry is because anytime you plant a ministry if you don't know about it between years one and three, there's always increase. But your first test comes right at about year three. And if you are faithful to God in the first test, then there's astronomical increase that comes after year three. But if you let the test destroy you, then you can fall flat on your face. You are in a crucial time frame for this ministry. And I believe that God wants you to know that you need to learn to hear what he told you to do in spite of what comes against you. And so when I look at this text, I see something very powerful. We've got winds of people in our lives that's working against us. We've got waves of issues that's throwing things on us. We've got weariness that's setting in on us. And it's too late in the, in the night and too early in the morning for the pressure that we've experienced. And I see a problem in the text, but I also see power in the text. I see a problem that goes on in your life, but I also see power that comes in your life. As I look at the Bible, I see right before verse 27, all kinds of crazy things happening. I see troubled conditions, but then power shows up right at about verse 27. At verse 27, Jesus, he puts a word on the situation that they're going through. The writer said, but Jesus immediately spoke. How many of you know that if you hear the word of God, the word of God can deal with every situation you're experiencing. Let me say that again. If you hear what God has already said about what you're going through, the word of God can change your situation. 
All right, let me go back a few days when I started here. I explained to everybody that the Bible says that if you confess that God will give you power to receive. In Romans chapter 10, it says, well, what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus died and rose again from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation comes simply because I made a confession. That word confession is a word homologial, which means that I don't just speak it. I see it as who I am. I step into it, and when I declare it, I declare it as if it's me. So when I look at the word of God, I can't just hear the word of God. I've got to hear the word of God, and then I've got to see the word of God as if it is me. And I need to step in what the word is saying, and then I declare what the word is saying. Why do I have to declare it? Because when God created man, he created man in his image and in his likeness. And in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, and let them have dominion over everything. Say everything. If you have dominion over everything, that means that you have the power to declare the things of God when you are in alignment with the word of God. So when God sends you a word, you got to receive that word and walk in that word and become that very word that you've been receiving. This transition in the text excites me because every time I see a word coming from Jesus, some great things happen. You remember Jesus said, peace be still. What happened? The storm stopped. Do you remember when Jesus said, rise up and walk? What happened? A crippled man got up and started walking. You remember when Jesus said, cast your net on the other side? An unproductive group of people became productive. Do you remember when Jesus said, your faith has made you whole? A woman who had an issue of blood, take touch the H-E-M of the great H-I-M, and the blood that was flowing from her was drawn up. Do you remember what Jesus, when Jesus said, it is finished? Jesus reached all the way back in past times to present time and in future time in order to save everybody from sin. Some great things happens when Jesus speaks. And so when you are called by God to do a work for God, Regardless to what comes against you, you got the ability and the power to overcome all oppositions against the work that God has called you to do. So here's my question to get you home tonight. How do I make it in ministry when changes come? How do I make it in ministry when oppositions come? How do I make it when trouble come? I'm here to give you the key to getting through ministry. Here's the first thing you got to do. You got to realize that Jesus is in every situation with you. If you believe in him, he's present with you. We see that in verse 26 of Matthew chapter 4. It says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. The disciples were afraid and they had fright because they saw what made them think about death. But Jesus instantly spoke in the midst of their fear. Jesus has the tendency to let you know that he's present when you're going through crazy things. He has the tendency to let you know that he's present when your whole life is falling apart. The fact that the disciples were told to do something was enough for them to do it without being afraid. The fact that God told you to start a church is enough to do it without being afraid. The fact that God told you to take a faith step is enough without you being afraid. 
But sometimes things that come into what you're doing will cause fear to set in. And how many of you know that even if fear sets in, you can turn and put your eyes on Jesus Christ? The fact the disciples were told to do it was enough, but they didn't realize that his word was enough. So in ministry, sometimes you can feel alone, but you need to know that Jesus is with you. And if he said, do it, that's all you need. When you cry out, he's with you. When you are stressed out, he's with you. When you are overwhelmed, he's with you. When you feel like quitting, he's with you. When you feel trapped in circumstances, he's with you. God is with you when things are falling apart. And I love God so much because he's able to take everything and make it work on my behalf. Can I tell y'all a secret? I bake cakes. And I bake the best cakes the world has ever seen. But I have a problem with the cakes that I make, and I'm not schizophrenic. I, I don't have a mental issue, but the cakes do talk to me sometimes when I'm baking them. One day I was baking a red velvet cake. Y'all don't know anything about a red velvet cake, do you? You, you do? Okay, let me tell you what happened. Well, I, I pulled all the ingredients out, right? And, and the cake said, Bishop Merritt, you and I are the same. I said, no, you ain't. No, you, 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 you need to shut up because I got some work to do, and I don't need to be bothered with you talking to me in the middle of my making a cake. He said, no, you need to pay attention. Bishop Merritt, you and I are the same. I said, all right, talk to me, baby Baba. He said, well, do you realize that whatever you go through is just like the ingredients that goes into me? I said, you better preach cake. The cake said, well, here it is. There are some ingredients in me that don't taste good by themselves. There's some bitter ingredients. There's some sour ingredients. There's some sweet ingredients. But here's a power in the moment, uh, Bishop. If you just allow the ingredients, those experiences to come together, God has a way of whipping them together and putting them in a pan so that even in opposition, you can rise in the heat. I said, you better preach, cake. You better preach. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. He said, being in the oven is like being tested in time. But God has a time frame in which you're going to be in the oven. In other words, God will use everything to make things work out for you. And at a certain point, God's going to pull you out of that oven. He's going to place you on the cooling rack. He's going to flip you over. He's going to set you up and ice you real quick. And everybody who comes and experiences your life are going to say, boy, this is the best cake I ever had. You're looking at me funny because you think I'm talking about me, but the reality is I'm talking about everybody here that you will have some bad moments, but you've got a cook in your kitchen. His name is Jesus Christ, and he said all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so when I know God is working with me, I know he's also working for me. God is the good cook that can take all the ingredients of my life and make it work on my behalf. I like the way Joseph looked at that. Joseph said that what you meant for evil, God used it for my good. Now, you don't know what that word means in the Hebrew, but that word in the Hebrew better translate into English as God weaved it for my good. In other words, God will take bad moments and he will weave it into your good moments. And those bad and good moments will make you a powerful vessel. Okay, Pastor, let me tell you, I used to be stuck up. I used to be real stuck up. 
but God took me through some bad moments in order to unstuck me so that I can do some good for other folk. And I'm so glad that God took me through danger seen and unseen so I can calm my pride down in order to be used by God. Is there anybody here that know that God will take you through something so that he can use you? All right, so Jesus is in every situation, but guess what? Jesus has given you his name in every situation. Yeah, I know that went over my head the first time I saw it too. Here it is right here in verse 27. But instantly he spoke to them saying, watch this, take courage, I am. Yeah, we were singing about it. I was, I, I was wondering, is this the right text? But when they were singing, I said, yeah, this is right. He said, take courage, I am. <laughs> I, I like that because I'm getting excited right now just thinking about it. He said, take courage. Because I am, you're not, you're not shouting because you don't know what I am is. This is not the first time Jesus said I am. The word I am in the Greek here is ego I am, and I had to look that up to make sure that the, the other translations of I am was the same I am. And the first time we see it in the text was somewhere where he was talking to uh, some of the religious folk, and he said before Abraham was, I am. What he was doing was planning the scene to tell everybody that he is timeless. He has no beginning and no end. And he has been before we became and he will be after we have been. And so since he is I am, not only is he timeless, but he's able to fulfill anything that needs to be fulfilled. It's the same language that was used at when Moses went to the burning bush and Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? He says, tell him that I am, Yahweh, tell him that I am sent you. And so why do I need to know that I am sent me? Because God is the kind of God that will fill in the gap based on what you need in the situation in which you need it. To say that God is just this is to belittle God for what he needs to be in your moments. And so I have to see God as I am because that will make me shout every time I think about it. So when I'm afraid, the I am fills in what I need for the fear that I have. When I'm tired, the I am fills in the need for what I have in that moment. When I'm lost, I am becomes a direction thing for us. Pastor Gerald had me in Zululand. And I don't know if you've been there, but we were on a bunch of streets with no street signs. And he had me in a truck that I think it almost broke my liver on the streets that we were on. And Pastor Gerald was like, uh, I think it's this turn. And I said, well, the GPS just said, turn back there. And then Pastor Gerald said, well, I'm going to keep going. And the GPS redirected him. And eventually we go all the way around the whole township. You get all the way up past the turn again in order to realize that the GPS was telling the truth the whole time. <laughs> Here's the problem. Many of us, we go in our lives and Jesus is I am for us. He's telling us where to go, when to turn how to turn, why to turn, but we still try to get it done our way. And every time we miss the turn, Jesus has an I am that says recalculating in order to get you back on path. And some of us need to learn that we got to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean to our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him and let him direct our path. Watch this. Jesus told them to go to the other side in verse 22. 
This is where I am really bless me. In verse 24, they are about eight miles out into the, into the sea struggling. Then verse 25, sometime, sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus takes a walk and come to them on the water. And in verse 26, they see Jesus and they start crying out uh, that, that it's a ghost. And Jesus gives them a word. He says, take courage. Then he says to them, uh, after saying, take courage, he says, ego aimi. And I've seen the word in John 58 and in Hebrew, and I saw it in Exodus. But if you know about the Bible, then you know that God is about to shake some stuff up whenever he says, I am. I am is when God goes to deal with some things. When he says, I am, God is about to knock down government structures that's opposing his people. When he says, I am, God is about to be your God. When he says, I am, God is about to become your covering. When he says, I am, God is about to become your shield. When he says, I am, God is about to become your peace. I am whatever you need me to be in the moment in which you need it. He says, Jesus says, Jesus is in every situation. That's the first thing. The second thing, Jesus has given you his name in your situation. The third thing is Jesus has given you a word for your situation. Verse 27, but instantly he spoke to them saying, take courage. Jesus spoke to them in three short phrases and give uh, a word to Peter. One phrase told them who he was. And then another phrase told them what to do. He says to them, take courage because I am. And so in, in a sense, this word take courage, it means to be bold, take boldness, take confidence, which means that whenever we are in a bad situation, we have a choice. And that choice is based on faith. If I believe that God can do anything, then I will take what God can do. But I also have a choice to take on fear and fall apart. Many of us, we spend more time taking on fear than taking on power. We take on fear because it's what we see. We reject power because it's what we got to believe. But the reality, when I look at the word of God, uh, Hebrew chapter 11 verse 1 says, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. My legal right to whatever God says is my faith. So I have to choose to take on what God has put before me instead of what fear is putting before me. He tells them to take boldness and to reject fear because he already had a victory for them on the other side. He told them to go over to the other side so fear should not have had a place in their life. When God leads you to walk a work, he tells you to take confidence in that very work that he's calling you to do. And the question is why? Because you are on an assignment for God so danger is not a factor trouble is not a factor problems is not a factor shortcomings not a factor not having enough not a factor if people are not there not a factor because God is able to do what exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask think or imagine so my mind has to give God room to move in my life. So don't let what you think uh, stop you from seeing what God is about to do. He said, stop being afraid. That word afraid is the word phobia. It's the word where we get phobia. And this word means fear, withdrawal, or to flee or avoid. How many of you withdraw, flee, or avoid the things of God because you have a phobia caused by the oppositions in your life.
How many of you have allowed the name of things to dictate what you will do and what you will believe? We got words about God like El Shaddai, which means Lord Almighty. Will you let God be mighty in every situation in your life? We got names for God like Jehovah Rapha. Will you let God be your shepherd in the trouble that you deal with in your life? We've got words like Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord heal. Will you let God heal you in the trouble in your life? Let me pause here. God cannot just heal you in your body, but he can heal you even in relationships. He can heal you in all the broken things in your life. We have names like Jehovah Jireh, which is God will provide. Will you let God provide for you in moments when you need him? We got words like Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Will you have peace in every situation in your life to calm your mind? We've got words like Jehovah Nisi, Lord, my banner, my miracle, and the power in this statement is that whenever the enemy comes in, the Bible says, like a flood, the Lord will lift a banner, which means that now there's a war going on on your behalf, and you don't have to worry about what's coming against you. I am gives you the power to make it through anything that you're going through. So Jesus is in every situation with you. He has given you his name in his situation, in your situations. He's giving you a word in your situations. And I want to give you this last thought. When you fail in following Jesus' voice, he is giving you a hand to deliver you from your failures. Matthew 14 and 30 says, but when he perceived and felt the strong wind, he was frightened and he began to seek and he cried out, Lord, save me from death. What Peter started with he shifted from. And this is something we need to hear. Many of, us, many of us, we start strong in our calling. When we hear a word from the Lord, we start with strength. But something slips in to the moment of the strength that we started with. Words from other people becomes whispers that teaches us to not have faith. Problems come where we thought we had it all figured out and all of a sudden things come our way and it shifts things in our ministries. The real thing that we need to understand is whenever God tells you to do something, you got to learn to hold on to that thing and that thing alone. You got to hold on to it like there's nothing else left. You got to hold on to it as if it's not you that's doing it, but it's God that's doing it. And I believe that this is a season where I have to tell you to hold on. Now, if, if it doesn't feel like this means anything to you right now, you just keep on living because there's a test coming. And when the test comes, the question is, can you keep on holding to God's hand? When the problems come to take you down, can you keep on holding to God's hand? I believe that this is a time that you can get in shape for what is to come. I used to play football. And back in the day playing football, we used to run drills, work on skills. Football, U.S. football. Let me, make, 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 I need to make sure we understand because I don't fool with soccer anymore. U.S. football. And we would go through drills. We would go through techniques. We would go through plays, and after going through drills, techniques, and plays, we would have to run up and down the field. They call those wind sprints. I hated wind sprints because I didn't know why we had to do them. But they called it a word that I want to tell you that we got to have in our faith. That word is conditioning. We had to run wind sprints after practicing for hours in order to be conditioned. Now, I didn't think that that made sense until I actually played in a football game. 
In football games, the, the energy and the movement is so consistent and so draining that there's a point where you're going to feel like you've got nothing else left. But here's the power in the moment. When I was on the field in practice, I was tired at the end of practice. But I had to keep on running in order to get the things done, in order to, in order to be on the team, in order to make the starting lineup. So there was a feeling that you would get while you were running in practice that I, I, could, I could relate to. But then I got into the game and I started to get tired and I realized that that same feeling in practice that made me tired, I had it in the game. And I had to learn to turn off everything that told me to stop and turn on the thing that told me to keep going. And I'm here tonight to tell you in your ministry, you got to learn to turn off what tells you to stop and stay fast connected to what Jesus is telling you to keep you going. You don't have to say amen to me if you don't want to, but the truth is we got to learn to close our ears to our flesh, close our ears to the wind, close our ears to the watch, close our ears to the struggle, and keep on moving. All right. Can I give you one more story to close this thing? There's a little frog that was about to get into a race. This is a Baptist closing. Can I do it that way? This is a little frog that was getting into race. And uh, all the little frogs with the big, with, with the frog, one frog was, was, was in the race and, and they put all the frogs on the line and uh, the big frog on the side said, on your bark, you said, pow, go. And they started hopping in the race. This is a miracle right now because my knees are hurting and they're hopping in that race. They're just hopping and hopping and hopping and hopping. And then they came to a steep, a steep hill, which I've seen all over South Africa, steep hills. Uh, they, they, he's, they were hopping up the hill, and the hill was so steep, all the frogs were slowing down. Big frogs on the side of the road said, these frogs <laughs> are never going to make it to the end of the race. And one by one, frogs started falling off and stopping. But there was one frog that was still getting it. And then they said, there's no way he's going to make it to the end. All the other frogs quit. There's no way he's going to make it to the end. The closer he got to the top, the faster he kept going. He said, there's no way. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I think he may, he may finish. He may finish. And finally, the little frog crosses the finish line. All the big frogs made a lot of noise. And they walk up to this little frog and say, Whoo, <laughs> how did you finish the race? And the little frog just kept looking at him. He said, how did you finish the race? Little frog kept looking at him. He said, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? How did you finish the race? And little frog kept looking at him. They got louder and louder and more belligerent. And then the father of the little frog walks up and says, hey, chill out. My son can't hear a word you say, and he's deaf. In order for you to talk to him, you got to use sign language. And the truth is... Many of you are going to stop on your race because you hear the voice of other people. You're going to stop in ministry because you hear other people. But if you learn how to be like that little frog and become deaf to anything that speaks against your faith, become deaf to anything that tells you you can't do what God called you to do, become deaf to people who look at you funny, become deaf to people who walk out on you, become deaf to people who talk about you, just keep on hopping. Matter of fact, the next time you see somebody that's trying to stop you, here's our symbol. If somebody tries to walk out on you, you say... 
don't, don't just hop on them, smile on them too. If somebody comes up to you and say that won't work, you just do like this. If somebody tells you that that ministry will, has failed before and it's going to fail again, you just keep on hopping. If you're an usher who's, who's, who's everybody on your team has walked out on you and you're by yourself, ushering by yourself, when the pastor looks at you and asks you, where's everybody, you do this. <laughs> because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Come here, somebody. Are you here tonight in order to have faith? to keep on moving. If you believe that your call in God is bigger than your feelings, you can do this thing. And now the reason I'm telling you this, maybe it's a little comical, but I am not doing anything to entertain you or make you feel good. I'm telling you something that is divinely from God. There's a test coming. You cannot move into supernatural things without a test. I felt it in the atmosphere when my plane landed here in South Africa. There is something God is brewing out of this area, but you've got to be proven to get it. You've got to be proven to be activated. Even our Savior had to be proven before he started. He was baptized and he was driven into the, into the wilderness and he was tested before he started his ministry. And what God is about to do in this region, I can't even explain it. I don't even want to try to put words on it, but I know it's bigger than what we've ever seen. And the best description I can give you, y'all need to hear me. Don't play with me. Listen to me. The only description I can give you is what the Lord showed me while we were in uh, uh, Richards Bay or Roberts Bay or Joseph Richards Bay. While we were there, I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning every single day. And the Lord was ministering to me. Watch this. He said to me, do you know that all of the world's wealth is because of the resources out of Africa? I said, yes, Lord, I know that. He said, but that's just a shadow of what's about to happen. He said, there's a spiritual wealth, wealth that I'm birthing into the world. And it is going to come out of this land. He's, I, he said, I'm going to call people to go out of this land and activate spiritual things that's going to blow this world away. But y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all ain't hearing me. But there has to be a testing to prepare you for it. You are not here by mistake. You are here because God is about to activate something. I can't even put words on how huge it is. Some nations will fall if you don't do what God has called you to do. If you don't prepare yourself as every man, woman, boy, and girl stand to their feet. This nation doesn't start from the political entities. What God is about to do is not going to be driven by politics. It's going to be driven by the kingdom of God. The seed that we've been sowing throughout this region is a seed of organizing so that we can do kingdom work. So that we can take authority the way God wants us to take authority. If you're a pastor, just lift your hands. I want to see you if you're a pastor. You pastors, I want you to hear this. Your local houses are important, but it's only the beginning. We got to follow the model that Jesus gave the early apostles. 
He said, go to Jerusalem, local house, Judea, your country, the uttermost parts of the earth. Pastors, if you don't take that serious, you're going to miss out on what God is doing in this season. I'm telling you that God is activating something, and I need you to hear that when God activates something, there's a testing that comes to validate it. And I don't want you to try and frame what God is about to do based on what you've seen in the past because God is not the kind of God that moves the same way every single time. Echo. When the children of Israel came out of bondage, it was a praise-like motion that parted the sea. But on the other side of the wilderness, after purging had happened, testing, the priest had to step into the water for them to enter into what was next. We're in a time where you, priest, have to understand that what God tells you to do today may not be what he tells you to do tomorrow. You need to learn to hear what God is, what God said, but also hear what God is saying. And sometimes people are going to look at you weird because you, you said God said this. Yes, he did. But sometimes when God says one thing, it's to get you in position in order to move to the next thing. And it can be a complete change of direction. Why am I asking everybody to stand? Because whenever a pastor is leading, whenever a pastor is being activated, the people are also being activated. Because every house is a house of covenant. Let me say that again. I, I've been standing up longer than you, so I think you can do this. Every house is a house of covenant. It is the beginning of sight, the local houses. When you are in a local house, the way you see the kingdom should be through the lens of that house that you're in. And when you go from house to house, you are not a person of the kingdom. You are something like a consumer. And God don't need consumers in this season. He need covenant people who can embrace a set man who gives a vision a set way so that we can get all the pieces of the puzzles to work the right way. That's why I cannot condemn any church because every church is a part of what God is doing in this season. God is pulling it all together. You might like to praise God one way and another church might like to praise God another way. God is using every last one of them and let me tell you why. The heartbeat the heart, it beats and it makes blood and oxygen go throughout the body. But the liver purges the blood that's going through the body. The skin protects that blood that's flowing in the body. None of those things are the same. None of them operate the same way, but they're all working together to get something done. Pastor, can you come here? Come on up. His method turn may be like the heartbeat, the heart of God. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. When did these things happen, Pastor? What you've done to the least of them, you've done to all. You've done to me. But then while God has this pastor doing this work, this pastor is not separate from that pastor. Come on up. 
Pastor Gerald. He's not separate from this pastor. I want you to go and set up houses. Bring in my voice to every house that you go in. Activate the hearing of the prophets. Activate the apostolic mantle that I need all over the region. Restore unity in the house. The mandate that one was given cannot be done without the other. Because even though he has a different purpose in the body, that same purpose is present in this body. Without these two working together, the kingdom is broken. It's time out for us competing in the gospel. It's time out for us competing about the faith. And it's time for us to not let fear judge what we are called to do. I know you might be tired, but I got to keep on working this thing. Come on, Pastor. I need someone that's going to touch young people because the tradition of church keeps rejecting them. But I need someone who's going to do it in a way that will love them to faith. I want to put the unchurchable in the church. Now, I don't care how they dress. I don't care how much smoke's in the building. I don't care how much light are in the building. All I want is a word to activate praise with a young generation. The problem in the church is that we develop religions out of our movement, out of our local house. But what the church needs is for the heart of God to work with the voice of God, to work with the radical touch of God. That's what the kingdom desires. And nothing these folk will do will change who they are. But watch this. You who are called to these houses should not be spectators. That's why I got you standing. And here's what I want you to do. If you've had, and I want y'all to stay just like this for a reason. If you've had fear or anxiety or frustration or confusion in the call of ministry in your life, I want you to move close to this altar by faith. Just come on up. Don't, don't delay. If you've had anything that tried to stop you in ministry, come on up. Move. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't think about it because your thinking is not faith. Come on. Come on. Come on. Somebody, I, I, I hear in the spirit, you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want people to think the wrong way. But even pastors need to be at this altar because something's about to break. If you second guess your calling, come on up. Just, just rush on up here. If you don't know your calling, just rush on up here. You, you don't have to stay down there. You can come all the way up here. Because I feel like God is about to do something. Just come on up. Come on up. Just step on up. Step on up. I need you to break protocol. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you don't know your call, rush up here now because God's going to release it right now. Come on. Come on. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. Right now you're being activated. Come on up here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
Come on and move. Don't, don't, don't barely move. Move on up. Come on. I know Satan is trying to block you right now. Satan is trying to make you second guess. He's whispering in your ear. But you need to know that God called you to a work. And if you can't hear it clearly, if you can't define it very clearly, you need to come on up to the altar right now because there's a release in the atmosphere. Come on. I have to wait because I know why I'm here. Come on. I love you, Jesus. Come on. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you. Now, listen. The Bible tells us that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints. Without all, we will not be perfected. Now, pastors, here's what I want you to do. I want you three to walk together and touch each and every person here. Call into their lives what they're void of right now. I want you to call into their lives the voice of the Father to bring the perfection of their calling to life right now. And I want you to move in unity because we're, we're doing something here. So if you would just move from one person to another, can we take our time and make this happen? Go ahead and move. Go ahead and move. Go ahead and move. If you feel like you shouldn't be at the altar, what you should do right now is pray. Because either you're not ready or you're already complete. Either way, we still need you to pray. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, to tell you, Lord, I love you, I love you, Jesus. 